Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And uh, welcome to the first week of fall. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's uh, definitely chilly out and uh, we have a great full show and we have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke is dressed warmly from her house, our healthcare director here at Citizen Action. Claire, how are you doing? I'm great. Listener, Matt's joking because I'm not ready to give up on summer and I'm still wearing a sleeveless <laughs> dress. I am not dressed warmly. <laughs> uh, yes, I am in a hoodie. I am cold. I went outside and had coffee and have been unable to warm up. Uh, Robert Craig is also with us, our executive director. Robert, how you doing? Good. And I am dressed warmly. <laughs> it is Wisconsin fall officially and also by temperature. Yes. Well, Fortunately, uh, it'll be warming up again by tomorrow. But by the time most of you listen, it should be warming. I see our our producer showing us his uh, Bucks champion uh, hoodie that he is wearing, uh, which is very appropriate. Um, but uh, we've got a full show. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We are going to be joined later in the show by Sachin Chetta. He's the director of the uh elections project and um or excuse me the fair elections project and we're going to talk about the uh supreme court the wisconsin supreme court yesterday deciding to take up the redistricting case we'll talk more about that with him later in the show but before we do that we wanted to talk first about covid and what's been happening on that and we also want to talk about build back better um a couple of things that we have been quite frankly talking about regularly on the show because they both are quite frankly defining both the world we are swimming in and the politics in the world we want to see. So Claire, I want to start talking about COVID. Um, we have been talking the last few weeks about how the Delta variant has been surging, not only throughout the country, but throughout our state. Almost all of our counties um, are in the red and we're having essentially seven day rolling averages that are at the rate of before vaccinations in January, our hospitals are over almost all over 90% filled. Um, and, you know, we still have stubbornly not high enough vaccination rates. Claire, wanted to go to you for the latest on uh, the COVID update from your perspective. It's the same, I would say, uh, message as what you would have received last week, that we are up at the same level of cases before vaccinations um, at the end of December and early January. So um, on Wednesday, DHS reported 2,723 new cases, 19 deaths, and 1,100 people in intensive care. Um, those numbers are up dramatically. For example, the number of people uh, hospitalized uh, is up 343 patients from a month ago. So you can see that, um, you know, as people get sick, they become severely sick if they aren't vaccinated. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of see the eventual progression of, you know, a lot of cases turning into a lot of hospitalizations, turning into a lot of beds being used in intensive care. Um, all of this is what we um, expected once Delta rolled into town um, and folks refused to get vaccinated, um, but it doesn't mean it's uh, any less worrisome or any less tragic. And of course, uh, we talk a lot about schools and how easy it is for unvaccinated children to 
contract and spread COVID-19, but it's important to remember that there is community spread, which means that it can be spread in restaurants, it can be spread in concert halls and theater venues if they are not requiring vaccinations and maskings. So um, folks, be on guard. Don't feel like if you don't have kids in school that you aren't at risk. Claire, you raise a really important question, right? And that is really becoming more a hot topic, and that is the masking again. Uh, And Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, There have been calls by the MTA, the Teachers Education Association here in Milwaukee, some others, uh, some local officials, uh, to go back to a mask mandate. Uh, The state, Claire mentioned the state health officials on Wednesday were out urging people to mask up, uh, but we know urging doesn't appear to work. Your thoughts on sort of where we are in the latest state of play in terms of what we're doing to actually prevent the spread? Yeah, it's a very unfortunate commentary on human nature that if you have divided leadership and the Republican Party uh, is has divided things entirely in the whole conservative movement on this, then people will not comply just based on personal responsibility or reading facts or anything like that. So these calls are all great, but really the only thing that will prevent this is real public health mitigation measures. And the state of Wisconsin under a democratic governor still has the power to have that uh, mask mandates in the schools um, and chooses not to do so. One would have to say for political reasons. So we're gonna talk about, yes, any sort of individual responsibility, every person, and you see a lot of them walking around supermarkets and other places without masks, it's appalling. And I think, what are you not understanding? But that is what is happening, and that is how humans respond when, when, when conservative politicians and their corporate backers, who are really responsible for them, uh, use this and politicize this deliberately. And where the Republican national presidential primary has to do with which governor is the worst on COVID-19. So we and we we're being anesthetized to the number of deaths. We're having something like a 9-11 every day nationally, and we're not acting like it. It is stunning. And the disinformation on Fox News is stunning. So obviously all of that is worse than the inaction of some Democratic leaders, but really that's where the people who are science-based, where people need to be bold and take risks, political risks, in order to save lives. Claire, I wanted to give you one final opportunity. I just want to echo what Robert said. I think it's an important note to end on, which is that we need our political leaders to be brave and to do what's right for our constituents, even if it means getting a bunch of angry emails from some folks who don't agree. Uh, this is this is what you were elected for, and we need we need you to do your job. Well, and again, a shout out in support to uh, some of those leaders who are stepping up, uh, certainly in Milwaukee, Alderwoman Marina Dimitrievich has been uh, has been calling for this. Uh, but uh, with that, folks, we have got to move to what's been going on in Congress. We've been talking about the absolutely critical and historic uh, effort to pass the Build Back Better agenda. We have been big supporters of it, uh, both pieces. Um, And Robert, I'm going to kick it to you for just a quick update. Uh, We know we're trying to move both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the uh, bill that is currently it's being discussed as the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure or 
package, and it's a budget reconciliation bill that would have to go through with just the Democrats. Robert, what's the update of the battle between progressives on the left side trying to keep uh, keep both of these tied together and moderates who are trying to get them disentangled and only support the bipartisan effort? And remember that this is critical to the future of the country. There's the biggest reforms of the 60s and the 1930s, okay? And it's being decided right now. And so this is as much of a test of democracy as protecting voting rights, because it's not just the function of having elections and having votes counted. Democracy has to lead to government that acts in the interest of the governed and protects the interest of the people and the species when it gets to climate. But here's where we are. There was a deal to make this two-track to move forward. A small number of conservative Democrats have reneged on it. Uh, Biden was having conferences, President Biden, with every side yesterday trying to be the conciliator in chief, which is something his career positions himself well to have those kind of diplomatic skills. We are supposed to have had the first set of votes in four days. Not sure if that will hold. Uh, Pramila Jayapal and the progressives, Bernie Sanders, Pramila Jayapal is the head of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, are doing fantastic. Pramila has been all over the national news, meeting with Biden, meeting with Pelosi, and she is pointing out that the media is doing a disservice when they say this is moderates versus progressives. Most moderates are for doing both. It is a very small, much smaller number of corporate Democrats, and this is in the face of the largest corporate lobbying campaign in American history and a campaign finance system where these people depend on these interests. We had negotiating uh, for prescription drug prices with Medicare, the hugely popular, go down because three corporate Democrats killed it in committee. And they are they all three have received too much money from pharma. So this is a fundamental test of democracy. And the only answer is for the popular voice to drown out the corporate voice and the political voice here and, and, uh, and the, the reactionary voice. And we are at a turning point and people need to pay attention and they do everything they can to be heard because only the voice of the people can get this done. And the, fu the future of the country and to some degree, human civilization with the climate crisis are at stake in, making, in doing this. And this is the only time this may happen in the next two years, maybe the whole Biden administration, quite frankly, because this is the first year of a first term president. Folks, with that, um, we want to let you know that next week we're going to be doing a couple of events, and one of them is going to be in Milwaukee. We're going to be doing a march on We Energies, who has not been an honest broker in this process, and we know is a part of fighting a lot of the uh, transition to the uh, to the green economy that we need. So, folks, we're going to be doing a march next week, September 29th at 10 a.m. in Milwaukee. We'll have more details about that on the other end of this break. You're listening to The Battleground, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about Build Back Better. And for folks who don't know, that is uh, President Biden's uh, branding of the absolutely critical two pieces of legislation that we're moving through. Before the break, Robert gave us the little bit of an update. Claire, I want to go to you. I know um, we have mentioned we've been heavily involved in really trying to promote, push, highlight, talk about really critical importance. I know this week um, 
we were involved in some an event with Tammy Baldwin. Just want to get an update from you both on uh, that and going forward, and and particularly some of these just absolutely vital healthcare pieces. Yeah, I think Robert uh, gave a really good update on what the most important developments of uh, midweek have been. The only other thing I would add is that I think it's important to frame this as not just sort of progressives versus moderates, but progressives versus corporate Democrats, because there's a lot in here that moderate Democrats, many of them do support, and certainly that they should all support, um, especially if they are members of the House of Representatives heading into a re-election year. Um, The American people have just come out of a really awful year and a half, are still having a really hard time. Uh, The pandemic is ongoing, as we just talked about, and they're in a transactional mood, right? Like people want to feel as if their elected leaders have done something for them heading into election season. And this bill, as Robert said, is the single greatest opportunity we have to make the types of investments that will affect people's lives in real time, right? So things like extending um, hearing, dental, and vision coverage to seniors who are on Medicare, um, lowering the price of drugs like insulin, um, just to name a few. And uh, the only reason why, and those are really politically pop, just incredibly politically popular things, things that moderate Democrats who are pragmatists by their own you know, definition and description should want to support because it's good for their communities and it's good for their political careers. Um, but the folks who are, are not supporting it are the folks who I would more aptly title, you know, corporate Democrats uh, for whom sort of kowtowing to, um, you know, big pharma, for example, is more beneficial to their careers than uh, supporting the, the people in their districts, right? Um, and so I, I think it's important to keep that in the back of our minds, especially, especially as um, even if we're able in Congress to overcome sort of this this hump about uh, the dual tracks versus trying to pass the infrastructure bill first that Robert talked about. Um, we still have this issue of there being a couple folks in the Senate, um, particularly Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin, talking about how they are just not going to support a bill that's $3.5 trillion, and which leaves a lot of people in the House of Representatives saying, well, like, why am I going to go out on a limb and support this big package? The Senate's just going to shoot it down, right? And so we need to keep pressure up on folks who may feel more beholden to corporate interests and their own people to say, like, no, we're the ones that you answer to. You need to support the full size of this package um, because that's that's really how we're going to um, get the most things possible out of the Build Back Better Act. Um, I don't know if the vote is going to happen next week exactly like anticipated. I think there's a good chance that it slides into October as um the leaders in Congress work out the timeline for um, uh, for, for negotiating these political issues. Yeah, no, I think, Claire, you're absolutely right um, on the timeline. I, it, there's already been pretty much a discussion that that is not likely to be met. Um, Robert, that means there's more time, right? There's more time for people to put pressure on uh, folks who maybe are not 
for uh, doing this, but it's also a time to continue to keep pressure on folks who, you know, have yet to vote. Uh, Robert, tell us a little bit more. There's we've got a couple events coming up next week. I know you're going to uh, be involved in both of them, but uh, why don't you just give us a couple of highlights and uh, let our listeners know about uh, what we're doing to 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 build support for this. And just to reiterate, democracy is not just a set of procedures. Obviously, debates over voter suppression, Jim Crow, uh, voter suppression laws, taking over the election machinery in states so elections can be stolen by the modern Republican Party, redistricting here in Wisconsin. We'll talk about that later. They're all part of democracy, but then democracy is ultimately to rule in the interests of the people, right? And that's what this is about. We haven't been doing that for 50 years. And we finally have this great moment and it's going to be decided in the next six weeks and not enough folks on our side who are of goodwill and know what needs to happen in this country are, are, are acting like we're at this major inflection point in the future of the country. And so both of our events are, are focused on what is the biggest issue. I mean, they're huge issues. This is like New Deal level reform. It has to all be in one budget resolution because of the filibuster. And that's harmful because the public would be better if we did one at a time and people understood paid family medical leave, guaranteed childcare, guaranteed two years of college. If you understood all of that sequentially, everything on healthcare and caregiving, then each one would be very popular. The polling shows that. But the way this is being thrown together is because of the stupid Jim Crow filibuster. So we're focusing on climate because we have nine years now. Uh, or it could be end of civilization. I mean, for real, it's not hyperbole. And we've, we have, we've been increasing emissions every year, folks. People think, oh, there are a few Teslas around, we're making progress and there's some more bikes. No, we're not. And this is the first major step in the right direction. It's not everything, but it's a huge step in the right direction. And it'll produce 4 million jobs overall, uh, 760,000 in climate, uh, in green economy. And so, and they'll do union jobs, good jobs, not mic jobs, not gig jobs, which we, we count them the same way, which is silly. And so the Milwaukee event is a march from the African-American community, the Harambe neighborhood, which is just hammered by high energy costs, what's called utility burden, by lack of access to solar energy efficiency, um, and, and has the most, most um, expensive housing to heat and to cool. And of course, folks have the lowest income because of structural racism. To march from there to We Energies, the big for-profit utility in Southeast Wisconsin, because they and the other for-profit utilities are part of, well, they in Wisconsin have blocked reform and continue to at a number of levels. But in addition, uh, they are part of some, a, a trade association called the Edison Electric Institute. And they, that Edison Electric Institute is working to undermine the clean energy standards needed for civilization survival and to include fossil fuels like natural gas in it, which is like not doing it, folks. We can't do that anymore. Maybe if we'd started in the 80s, we could have done this slower. We didn't. We knew in the 80s that this was going to happen. The science was clear by the Reagan administration. And so we're going to be marching to the We Energy's headquarters downtown at Zeidler Park, named after the former socialist mayor of Milwaukee, to have a rally in front of We Energy's about what their big corporate lobby is doing. Then in Eau Claire the same day, so I can't be both places, but Kate Beaton, our movement organizing director, who lives in Eau Claire, will be, will be leading the Eau Claire event with our organizer, Brianna Stanley, and so, and our coalition partners, they will be biking 
having basically a bike-a-thon to pay attention and call attention to how important the huge transformational changes on climate are within Build Back Better and that they have to happen now. And Eau Claire, people don't know, has been one of the leaders in trying the city to figure out how to actually meet the international standards. In fact, Milwaukee is doing a lot more now, but is trying to catch up with Eau Claire. Madison has done well. There are others. Uh, but that, so that will hopefully get a lot of attention in Ron Kind's district because Ron Kind is not one of the corporate Democrats blocking right now, but he's in the moderate wing and he's important. And we need him really on board and, and, and frankly, more vocal in order to get us over the top. We need every voice. And Ron Kind's the one moderate wing Democrat that, that uh, in, in the Wisconsin delegation. So, folks, if you are in the Eau Claire area, please uh, look for that event. We'll have more details about that. And also, if you're in Milwaukee on September 29th, 10 o'clock, please meet at Victory Over Violence Park. It's uh, 2625 North Dr. MLK Jr. Drive. Again, Victory Over Violence Park at 10 a.m. So we really hope uh, everybody can get out and uh, join us for that event. Uh, this is just... Uh, Super, super critical, as everyone has talked about. And I also liked uh, the way both of you uh, reframe this from sort of this, uh, as I had even stated, right, uh, progressive versus moderate, and really put the emphasis on the corporate power that's behind this. And th these events will help with that. I mean, that's exactly what our utility, We Energies, is lined up with. So, folks, please get involved if you haven't. Please contact your Congress folks, reach out, contact Senator Baldwin, Senator Johnson. <clears throat> Senator Baldwin's been leading the fight for this. Um, let her know that you appreciate that. If you do live in Ron Kine's district, it's important that Ron Kine hears from you now, right? And that he understand, and that he hears from you that this is super important. All of it is important that he needs to support the whole package. So we'll, we're going to have uh, more information. We'll also probably, I think, in the following week, be doing an, another event in the lacrosse area. So stick to us. Follow us on Facebook. Check us out on social media. We got, kind, we got all kinds of stuff going on all the time. Get active. With that, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. And again, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're super fortunate to be joined by Sachin Chetty. He's the director of the Fair Elections Project. And around here, we think more importantly, he's a he's an active member of Citizen Action. We're thrilled to have him. Sachin, good to have you. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. I'm very excited to be here. So we had John just not too long ago to give us an update. And uh, yesterday, big news broke. Uh, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, or as we like to call them, the politicians in robes, uh, decided to take up a redistricting case that um, I'm guessing you don't think they should be. Sachin, give us, give our listeners an update. What happened yesterday and what's important for us to understand about it? Yeah, so it's been a big week uh, in, in litigation, both at the state and federal level. Uh, what the Wisconsin State Supreme Court did is they granted uh, a request to take up a case under original jurisdiction, which means that they're not going to uh, have it go through the normal process, which could be somebody introducing a case and, you know, or filing a case in county circuit court and 
than having it go through the appeals process. There's also a provision in state law specifically for redistricting cases that they're supposed to appoint a three-judge panel and there's a whole process and they kind of just ignored that and said, we're gonna take this ourselves. And the reason this is problematic is that these cases are very complex and they require a lot of fact-finding. There's a lot of evidence that has to be introduced. And the state Supreme Court is an appellate court that is not well positioned to take evidence. Um, and they don't, they don't really have any, there's no witness box in the, in the Supreme Court chamber. Um, and so they are kind of introducing themselves as pretty political actors into a process that they really shouldn't introduce themselves into. At the same time, there's a case, uh, a couple of cases that have now been consolidated in federal court. And so there's also been some action there in which all of the different parties that want to participate in the federal court case have been granted permission to participate. So why that's important is it means there's not just two sides. There's about six different sides in the federal court case. Um, but then uh, what is happening is uh, you have uh, a timeline that's actually being laid out by the federal court uh, that says, uh, you know, we need to basically have maps in place by March 1, and we're going to proceed with the litigation in federal court in a way that gets us there that really contrasts with the state Supreme Court did because the state Supreme Court didn't lay out any process. They just said they wanted to take the case um, and they're gonna punt on a lot of decisions about the process. And as Justice Dallet uh, pointed out, you know, they've inserted themselves into the process but they haven't put any sort of roadmap forward. They haven't laid out any process. It's likely just to muck up uh, what happened. And so uh, that's what happened this week uh, in uh, the, the uh, redistricting world in both the state and federal cases, and, and we're going to have to see what happens next. Claire? Thank you, and good morning, Sachin. Um, I think that, you know, redistricting is really important, but it is confusing for folks like me who don't work in the redistricting space, so I appreciate you laying out um, what the different court cases are about and sort of the contention around when the cases need to be, when the maps need to be drawn and submitted in order to move forward with elections. Um, but it's unclear to me what's happening right now besides litigation and how that compares to what should be happening. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, whether maps are being drawn right now, whether under normal circumstances they would be, how far behind are we if if we are behind? Yeah, so let me, I'm gonna say four quick things and good morning, Claire. And I'm sorry I didn't say good morning earlier, but you hadn't popped up on my screen yet. Always great to see you. Uh, so there are four things happening. One is that local governments are drawing maps and these are not expected to be particularly contentious, but there is some work to be done. And, and the reason it's important that local governments do that quickly is that um, we have spring elections in many, many jurisdictions across the state next year, primaries in February and general elections in April. And if you are a county or a uh, city or a town or a village or a school district that has elections next year, you gotta get your districts in place and you really have to have them in place before December 1st, because that's when you have to start collecting signatures to be on the ballot. So you have to know what the districts are by December 1st. So counties and cities and towns and villages all over the state are drawing their districts right now. 
And, and you know, a lot of these uh, local governments are under-resourced. They don't have, you know, they might have one part-time clerk. They don't have a ton of expertise in this. If that person wasn't around 10 years ago, they've never been through this process before. Um, and so they, they have some work to do, but they're, they're getting it done. I think these local governments, uh, they understand the pressure they're under. The reason it's late is because the census data came late. And the census data came late because of COVID was one reason, but the other reason is that the Trump administration was deeply incompetent and they tried to screw up the census purposefully in a couple of different ways to try to undercount non-citizens. And so any, all of that stuff became late. The second thing that's happening is that the state legislature is supposed to be in the process of drawing maps. And you know we could avoid a lot of these court cases and save a lot of money if the legislature and the governor could simply agree on a fair map. And so what's happening is the People's Maps Commission is drawing maps. That's uh, uh, the, the commission that the governor put forward. Um, and they're gonna likely draw a pretty fair map because they have an independent and fair process. Um, the uh, legislators themselves can be drawing maps and they're taking some input from the public, uh, at least they're pretending to. Uh, we'll see if they actually consider the input that they get from the public. Um, and they say they're going to draw maps kind of after October 15th or so. Um, and, uh, and so that process is ongoing. And frankly, let me just say before I go into the other two things that are happening, is that we really, really need people to be involved. This is not something that like you watch what happens in the court case and you just, you know, twiddle your thumbs and, and, and wring your hands and, and try to figure out, you know, what's going to happen next. We actually need people to participate, which means we need people to draw your own maps for your region or your community or your neighborhood or even a statewide plan and submit them at drawyourdistrictwisconsin.com. I'll say that again, since I stumbled on my words there, drawyourdistrictwisconsin.com. And if you want help uh, going through that process, we've got trainings um, and you can uh, send an email to info at fairelectionsproject.org. That's info at fairelectionsproject.org. And we'll get you hooked up with a training on how to do that. Um, and the reason that's important is because we need the Republican leadership to hear from the from the real people, the regular public, not just the special interests that they generally pay attention to, um, and 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 draw maps that are you know that are that are based on uh, input from from all of us. And if they don't do that, then we can hold them accountable to that in in the legislative process, but also in court. So that's really important in a way that people can get involved. Um, then you also have this state case that's kind of just getting off the ground. You have the federal litigation that's getting off the ground. And you know, there's some other ways that people can get involved, which is that we have a lobby day coming up this Monday and we have a few districts where we don't have people yet. Um, so again, you can send an email to that same email info at fairelectionsproject.org and we'll let you know if we can get you involved in, in, in scheduling a meeting with your legislators. Um, there may be some legislators who refuse to meet with us, but we still want to go through the exercise of asking for the meeting and uh, laying out the issues for that person so we have a record that we're, we're trying to reach them. We basically want the legislature to agree to take up the, uh, the People's Maps Commission's maps, um, and, and, uh, and we need, uh, we, we need you know, efforts to be made there. We also want them to take up a redistricting reform proposal. Uh, we don't think they're going to do that, but we, we think that we should try and we got to keep pushing them. And then some other things that you can do are we need people to write letters to the editor. Uh, we need people to hold education events in their communities, town halls and, and, you know, making sure we have speakers at the Rotary and at the Lions Club and at libraries all over the state. And the reason that's important is because we have to keep the issue of redistricting and partisan gerrymandering 
in the public eye throughout this process. We don't want the people of Wisconsin to feel like it's happening out of their hands and out of their control. This is something we should be involved with. We've pushed them really hard to have a more public process. And I think we've been successful in pushing them to have a more public process. Um, and uh, that's very different than what happened 10 years ago. So we need people to be engaged at this moment. So I really appreciate the question, uh, Claire. Robert. So if you, I know we don't, we only have two minutes left in this segment, but we have federal court process. We have a state court process. I think the concern is that the federal, federal courts will simply uh, accede to the state courts in the worst case scenario. Is that a necessary thing, Sachin, or is that something that, that is an open question? Let's say the state Supreme Court and the federal court differ in how this process should go, through the, starting at the district court. So I think it's impossible for the federal court to not review the maps. Now, is it possible the state Supreme Court will put forward a map and the federal court will be fairly deferential to that map? Sure, that's possible. But the map is going to have to meet uh, Voting Rights Act requirements. It's going to have to be reviewed in federal litigation. And uh, the state court has, you know, is under the same time pressures that everyone else is under. Um, if they just say, hey, we're going to accept uh, a state legislative map that the Republicans put forward and the governor vetoed, that's not going to have a whole lot of legitimacy um, because, you know, that that's the same map that wasn't accepted by the political process. So I think, um, you know, there is some danger that that the, the, the conservative majority, the right wing majority, I actually don't even want to call it conservative anymore. You've never seen a more activist judiciary than the, uh, the four uh, uh, more conservative, or at least the three most conservative members of the, or three most right-wing members of the state Supreme Court. I mean, if, if you read this decision yesterday, and I tweeted this, uh, you know, Justice Bradley's position basically, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, not direct quoting what she said, but basically Justice Rebecca Bradley's position is the Supreme Court can do anything and they should do everything. Like they, li she literally thinks that they, and, and this is, I mean, it's, it's very similar to how they wanted to give Mike Pence the power to, to overturn the election, um, you know, and kind of just ignoring the entire process and saying, well, the way we read the Constitution, the vice president can basically do whatever he wants and, and, and pick the next president. Uh, and, you know, that's the kind of activist judiciary that they've been warning about supposedly for decades, but really they've just completely abandoned any pretense of, of wanting to adhere to the law. So, and you know, ho hopefully the federal court, I know we're running out of time, hopefully the federal court will will adhere uh, to, to the law. I think we have some confidence these judges are not as partisan and they're gonna do the right thing as we move forward and follow the law. Sachin, do you have a few minutes to stick past the break? Sure. With that, we gotta take a quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking to Sachin Chetta about all the court news this week and the latest on redistricting. Robert, follow up. Uh, let me just say, I think sometimes there is a, an assumption that if things are in court, that really it doesn't involve the people, right? And you really made a strong pitch last segment for all the ways people can be involved. I think courts never want to say this, any courts, that public opinion absolutely impacts court decisions and there's a lot of social scientific research to support it. I think the U.S. Supreme Court might well have overturned the Affordable Care Act if there wasn't 
overwhelming support by the public demonstrated for it. And so they won't say that in their opinion, but there is no question judges are human beings and the whole context around them, including where the public is and what uh, influences the way they look at the law. I want to see if you agree with that proposition, because I'm just concerned people think, oh, we better hire the best lawyers and, and, and hope it goes well, that there is sort of a, a tension between our judicial system and participatory democracy in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, I mean, I might not say it exactly the way that you said it. I, I have a really specific example of how I think we've made a difference in that, you know, there was a rule proposed at the state Supreme Court and the way rules work as opposed to cases and ru the rule was kind of going to lay out a process for how redistricting litigation was going to be handled. And the rule that was proposed by uh, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, the right wing uh, conservative uh, uh, legal organization that is the driver of most of the things that happen that are controversial in the state Supreme Court now, um, they proposed a rule that would have basically pre-rigged the process and really elevated the voices of, of Speaker Voss and, and Leader LeMahieu and, uh, you know, tamped down the voices of the public in the process, et cetera. And so in order to pass a rule, you know, they have to ask for public comment. And so they asked for public comment. They did it in a way that was as difficult for the people to comment as possible. You had to submit comments in writing and it was at an awkward time on the calendar and you had to submit comments in, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but in 10, tenplicate. And you had to have, have 10 copies, not duplicate or triplicate, but, you know, they made it really hard. But because we're organized and we have fair maps teams all over the state and we have thousands of people who are volunteering and doing work, we were able to submit 2000 comments to the court and, and push them where 99.7% of the comments they got were against adopting this rule. And it made it really hard for them to just, you know, they realized there was some public scrutiny. They couldn't just adopt a rule that was absolutely rigged because they were going to get called on it. So I think in that sense, it's not, it's not that they're, you know, I mean, I think that look, Rebecca Bradley doesn't care what we think. She's an ideologue. She's a political activist and she's been elected to the Supreme Court and she goes up there and every day she basically does what she wants and says what she wants and she isn't very responsive. But the other justices maybe are a little bit more concerned. Um, they, they do know that what's happening is subject to public scrutiny. Um, and, you know, they can't they, they are all elected. They're, they're elected officials. They're not people who like the federal judges are, you know, the federal judges are lifetime appointees. They are very insulated. It's very hard to remove a federal judge. You have to, you know, they basically have to commit a, a felony to be removed. Um, and, and if, you know, and so uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but basically that's what it is. So uh, I think that, you know, you have a, um, a dynamic in which the public engagement really is important. Um, and, you know, part of it is just any elected official, whether they're on the court or they're in the legislature, or they're in local government, if they know the public is paying attention, they're going to be a lot more careful about what they do. And what we have to do is make sure that they know that the public is still paying attention every day when it comes to redistricting and gerrymandering. Well, Sachin, we really appreciate that you have helped us uh, and our listeners stay engaged throughout this process um, and that you took the time today to on short notice, uh, uh, join us this morning and update everyone. And I want to echo what Suchin said, folks, please get involved. This is super important. Suchin mentioned a number of different ways. We'll have links. Um, you know, and I also just want to thank you, Suchin. Um, you continue to lead on this. Uh, geez, I feel like it was um, about 10 years ago after those maps came out and you uh, at a meeting came up to me like, we're going we're gonna to fight this. I got a plan, da-da-da. And you start talking about smart folks and how we had a lawsuit and it has been a long 
<laughs> winding road, but uh, you have remained committed to, you know, help organize and get folks involved in this process. So want to thank you and your organization and everybody who's been involved uh, in this effort and will continue to be involved. Thank you all for, for the work and thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. Go support Law Forward, support the Fair Maps Coalition, and uh, let's keep fighting. All right. Thanks, Sachin. With that, we have a little bit of show left, and we have a couple of things I would like to uh, get some comments on. Robert, I'm going to just quickly come back to you, and Claire, feel free to jump in. But uh, Robert, I know you wanted to comment about Gableman's video that came out. I believe it was Monday. It might have been over the weekend. There has been a lot of comments, uh, a lot of things saying the uh, video was an effort to try and seem organized for what has been a disheveled and disorganized effort uh, uh, by Gableman and the right. Robert, the latest on the big lie here in Wisconsin. And this is just another approach to the Arizona audit and this crazy stuff going on in Pennsylvania. Michael Gableman, I think most of our audience knows, is a former very right-wing state Supreme Court justice who was elected originally on Willie Horton ads against the first African-American Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin, Lewis Butler, that were found false. And we led a case, as National Wisconsin, to have before Judicial Commission, he was found guilty at the first stage and told the partisan process, deadlocked everything, a violating judicial code in the way he got elected, okay? This is not a credible person. He did not even try to run for re-election after his term. They put him in charge of this to try to give it credibility. This is a former state Supreme Court justice. And they made him the special counsel of some kind for the Wisconsin election investigation. And what you see in the video, it's been posted all over. Uh, media outlets like Up North News and others have, have posted it, so you can find it, is first of all, it tries to give the color of law to this whole thing. There is no evidence of voter fraud, okay, at all. This is a big lie. It's made up. We now know the Trump folks knew it was made up. That's news this week, and they proceeded anyway. But we're continuing. But he tried to make it sound like it's a kind of like William Barr for Trump used to, you know, a very he tries to give it gravis, legal gravitas and use a lot of legal words and talk about impartial investigation, et cetera, et cetera. It's very much like authoritarian communication where they try to give the color of law and legitimacy to completely illegitimate and authoritarian and, and, and vicious things. That is what this is. This is, if, uh, scholars who would look at this would find this an example of the worst kind of propaganda. Second, it has something specifically malicious in it. It says that the government, local agencies, local election clerks need to prove themselves innocent. They don't, it, it proved that they didn't do it, shifting the burden of proof even though there's no basis, like there's no such thing as probable cause. And probable cause is not just a legal concept for when you're charged with a crime. It comes from a general principle that you only investigate something if there's some reason to believe that it really could well be true. But it's not the same as proof of conviction. And Justice Gableman, who ought to know better, confounds the two things and says that the public does not have to come in with proof a crime was committed. No, but it has to come in with some reason other than a partisan reason. And he also carries on about how this is going to reassure everyone of the integrity of the process. No, it's not. It's designed because, because everyone, the, the Republican Party and voters believing it didn't have integrity is because of the big lie, not because of any facts, right? It further underlines 
faith in elections, faith in our democratic government. It is actually itself the investigation and attack on democracy, regardless of whether it is successful in trying to overturn the presidential election result in Wisconsin of 2020. It itself is a disinformation propaganda attack on our fundamental institutions. Claire, I want to give you the last word on Gableman and his effort, shall we say, for election clerks to prove a negative, which we know it's pretty much impossible. <laughs> Convince me you didn't cheat. Claire, you get the last word. I'm still flabbergasted that folks are holding on, that we're, that these you know Republicans are holding on to this big lie for so long, even though they just know it's a lie. And there are, there are even Republicans in the state legislature who have said, come on, let's let this go. It's just such a waste of public resources. And it's, it's damaging, damaging to the state. And I know that they don't care. The people who are perpetuating this big lie, I know they don't care, but it, it's still disheartening and flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted to see it continue. And, and I won't analyze it anymore because Robert did such a great job. Claire, you, you did mention there are there are some Republican legislators who have uh, spoken up a bit. Um, a Kathy Bernier's Senate hearing last week, I believe it was, might have been two weeks ago, was noticeably different than what we've seen in, uh, out of the Voss side where there was actual facts presented and clerks were able to come and talk. And But that has been just, that is unfortunately been rare. And uh, we have gotten a, a heavy dose of the Voss side of this. Um, I, Robert, we've got uh, just a final minute. Looks like you have one final comment. Like everything else, this is about people getting active, right? We need to pr protect the machinery of democracy. We also need to deliver. That's why this is connected to Build Back Better. We're able to it's a few handful of bad apple corporate Democrats bought off that are standing in the way right now. We're able to deliver the greatest level of social reform. And we can go in a future battleground Wisconsin. I would love to go through all the details because there's so many jammed into one bill because of the filibuster. People don't know. This is 1960s and 1930s level. That legitimizes democracy. Democracy is not just about voting machinery and fair elections. It's about a government that operates by consent of the people and the interests of the people. And they are undermining that because they want to hand all power over to themselves and over to large corporations, the people who pay for their campaigns, who are behind it and not getting losing, losing credibility over it the way they should. And with that, this democracy machine needs to come to an end for the week. Folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground. We want to thank Sachin Chetta for joining us from the Fair Elections Project. And always, thank you to Brian Wooldridge, our producer, who makes the show happen every week. We'll see you all next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.